This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Then verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of God. Amen. Hey, it is really good to see you. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. Uh, a couple years ago, I received a text message from uh, Pastor Cam. Uh, at the time, he was just Cam. He and Kayla were new to the church, and uh, he had come on as a, as a pastoral resident, but we were sort of still getting to know one another. And so he sends me a, a text message, you know, sup, bro, something like that. Uh, and then he says, hey, um, Kayla was praying, and something came to mind for you. And so she, she wrote it down, and, and she just asked me to pass it along. Um, so I wanted to share it with you. And, and just remember, if it's like a little weird, it's from Kayla. You know, I don't know if he said that, but that was, I got that gist. Um, and so he sent a, a picture of a handwritten note, and it had a, a verse from Hebrews on it. And then just maybe a sentence of something that she felt the Lord was was wanting to, to say to me or to impress upon my heart, something, something particular about his, his love and care for me as a person and as a pastor. And it was, it was incredibly encouraging. It was really sweet. It was very thoughtful. I'm sure she, she maybe hesitated or felt a little weird, like I barely know this guy. We just joined the church. They haven't done the Life in the Spirit series yet. Um, but she was faithful. She was obedient. She sent it along. And so I sorted away. I saved the picture in my phone. And, and honestly, I didn't really think about it 
for a while. Uh, fast forward about 18 months, and uh, I was going through one of the most difficult seasons of life I've ever been through. It was sort of a, a, a significant trial uh, in, in our local church body and something that was just incredibly difficult for me personally. Uh, it was heartbreaking every day. And on one particular Wednesday, I, mean, I just had just an incredibly difficult day where you just want to go home, shut the door, like get in your bed and just quit all of life. It was one of those days. And then our community group started to follow, file in, you know. If you're a group leader, maybe you've been there. And so I, I sort of just went through the motions of community group, trying to, trying to get through the evening and keep my head above water. And I'm, I'm sitting out on the back porch. We broke up into small groups for prayer. And one of the guys in the group begins to pray over me. And he really begins to, like, pray over me. And no idea what, what's going on in the church, in my life, in that day. And then he quotes a verse from Hebrews, word for word. And then he says a sentence that he feels like, God wanted me to hear in particular about his love for me. And so I, I pulled out my phone, which you can do in prayer if you're a pastor. And I looked at my, <laughs> my note from Kayla, word for word, same verse from Hebrews, the same exact sentence that, that she had felt and passed long now was coming uh, from my buddy who was, who was praying over me. And so both individuals being sensitive to the spirit of God, knowing and reading the Word of God, being faithful and obedient to just pass it along. I mean, first of all, just to show up in prayer, to listen for God's voice, and then to pass it along, to pray over a brother in Christ. It's incredibly encouraging. I mean, who, who wouldn't want that, right? Well, in that moment, did it, did it change all of my circumstances? No. Did it make the trial easier? No. It actually got harder before it got better. But it was a, a remarkable outpouring of God's love for me in a really simple and ordinary way. Now, for the past five weeks, we've been studying the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit, looking at a number of different texts. We've looked at who the Spirit is, what He does, how He comes. We've looked at two responses, word and prayer. And now we're going to start sort of a series within a series. We're going to do five weeks in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, looking at spiritual gifts. Uh, and I just want to commend you. I know a lot of you have not been in a church before that has talked about the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit, and you all are doing so, so great. I know this is stretching for some of you, and I just want to say thank you for, for walking with us. And it, for some of you, you're like, this is the stuff I've been waiting for. I love it. And for others of you, it's, it's more difficult. And I just want to say thank you for the way that you've received this series and for hanging in. We, we love you. We're praying for you. We pray that this is incredibly formative for us as a church. But I am, I am 100% convinced that, that God has given us spiritual gifts for our good, for the good of the church, for the glory of Christ, and that these gifts are, are directly given from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to encourage us, to equip us, to know and experience his love, to serve one another more fruitfully, to have a greater impact on the world around us. That's what spiritual gifts are for. And again, I say, who wouldn't want that? And I think this morning, God, God might have something for you in particular. You might be saying, I'm, you know, I'm curious to know their, their stance on the spiritual gifts. I'm curious to see kind of how he handles the topic. You know, I'm taking notes today. 
That's great. I just want to say this, this message is for you. Like This is not for the person next to you, not for the person in your community group. We got a lot of people in here. It's not for them. It's for you. I don't know how that kingdom math works, but it does. This is for you, and I believe God might put something significant on your heart through his word this morning. So we're going to look at three things in 1 Corinthians 12, why we need spiritual gifts, why we believe that all spiritual gifts are still legitimate today, and then third, how to eagerly desire the gifts. So why we need them, why they're legit, and how to get them. All right, let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you specifically that your word and your spirit work in perfect harmony, and there is no confusion or disunity. Where there is, it's because of us, not you. And so, Father, we continue to seek your face. Lord Jesus, we want to know you better. We want to know your word. And Spirit of the living God, we want to know you rightly and experience you and receive all that you have for us. We are not content to just live with half of Christianity, half of what you're holding out to us. So come give us wisdom and knowledge even more. Help us, help us in, in our own hearts to know and experience you deeply this morning, we pray. Amen. All right, so first we're going to look at why we need spiritual gifts today. If you have a Bible or a bulletin, go ahead and pull that out. There are a few verses here at the beginning that I especially want us to look at closely that are going to set up this series. And I was hoping to not use the stool again. Some of you know I've been like under the weather for like four months. I've got some kind of virus that's in my lungs. Um, I'm back on the stool. We've had a few people join the church over the last four months, and they've said like, I love that you preach from a stool. (laughs) It's so approachable. Like I have bad news. I'm not going to keep preaching from a stool once I feel better. And I'm not that approachable. <laughs> I'm trying to be less approachable. You're like, it's not working. I think it was Bissy a couple weeks ago. She's like, you couldn't be intimidating if you wanted to be. So, I know. I look like I need a hug. Now, this is, this is verse one. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And in verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now the the author of this text, that's the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he mentions each member of the Trinity in these opening words. I don't know if you caught that. In, in verses 1 through 7, actually, uh, if you want to go ahead and, and put the slide up, Matt, I've got a, a slide that's going to show this. Uh, we see the Father in verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That's the Father. We see the Son in verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And that's a reference to Christ. And then, of course, we see the Holy Spirit in verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. And then in verse 4, the same Spirit distributes the gifts. And then in verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And so what Paul is showing us right from the beginning of this teaching on spiritual gifts is that the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in the giving of spiritual gifts. 
Just as each member of the Trinity is involved in a unique way in our redemption and salvation, each member of the Trinity is involved in a unique way in the giving of spiritual gifts. And so spiritual gifts are not like the Holy Spirit breaking out late at night and like doing something that the Father and Son don't know about and the Father's like mad when he gets home late or something. Spiritual gifts are the work of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's a unified powerful work of God, each member of the Trinity, pouring out power and blessing on his beloved children. To receive and to embrace spiritual gifts is to receive and embrace each member of the Trinity. And so I think it follows that if we're neglecting spiritual gifts, it could be that we are neglecting something that's true of the Father and the Son, not just the Spirit. Now, I want to show you three words. This is the next slide, and I've only got two slides today, so it's not like a whole PowerPoint thing. Don't worry. Um, But Paul uses three Greek words that are going to be really important for these next five weeks. The first words, can you handle some Greek? I know that's a little bit nerdy. I promise it'll be worth it. And again, it's just one slide, so bear with me. The first word is pneumaticus. Pneumaticus is translated gifts of the Spirit. Or pneumatica, if it's just singular. In verse 1, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. That's the word pneumaticus. And this word means that there is a seamless connection between the giver and the gifts. In fact, when you see the phrase spiritual gifts, I believe that the, the S in spiritual should be capitalized because whenever Paul uses the word spiritual, he's saying the Spirit's something. It's, it's directly from the Holy Spirit. It's not a vague spirituality like we have all over our culture It's a capital S spiritual gift. These are not merely talents or natural gifts. They are the Holy Spirit giving something from himself to us. And that's what pneumaticus means. The next one is charismata. This is the word gifts. It comes from the the root word charisma. And you may know that as the word grace or gift. Sometimes it's translated blessing. But we see it in verse 4, verse 9, and verse 31. There are different kinds of gifts. He comes back, and we'll use this over and over in the next three chapters. But this is God's way of showing us that these, these gifts are gifts. Like, they are, they are gifts that you don't work for, but you receive them. You, you unwrap them and enjoy them. And then the last word is phanerosis. It's a manifestation. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And this is referring to an appearing of God the Spirit in a particular way. Phanerosis means a gift has been a, a public revealing of the Spirit of God in and through us. And so God appears or is manifest each time a spiritual gift is properly used for the good of the church. And so when you take all these three things together, we have this incredibly important foundation for spiritual gifts, and that's that spiritual gifts are God at work, giving us gifts from his own spirit for the good of his people. Uh, The author Sam Storms puts it like this, and you can take the slides down. He says, spiritual gifts are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. They're not some tangible stuff or substance separable from God. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, and human love. 
Spiritual gifts are the presence of the Spirit himself coming to a clear, even dramatic expression in the way we do ministry. Gifts are God going public among his people. And so I hope you see that connection. The, the gifts aren't something else out there that, that the Lord collects and then gives to us, but it is God's very own nature being given in us and through us for the good of one another. And so that's why I say to embrace spiritual gifts is to embrace the giver. And it could be that neglecting spiritual gifts might cause us to neglect the giver. I mean, imagine God giving you some kind of gift. I mean, holding it out to you. And it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in putting this gift together for you. And you say, I don't know. I don't know if I want to open this one. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm ready for this one. I'm afraid that if I open it, I might misuse it or I might look silly with it. As a general rule of thumb, if all three members of the Trinity are involved in something, it's worth looking a little bit silly, you know? People might say, oh, you go to Trinity? I heard they're a little weird. You can say, they're a lot of weird. You can say they're a little weird. <laughs> you say, don't worry, they don't do anything weird that's not in the Bible. They only do the weird stuff that's in the Bible. <laughs> all right, here's the second thing. Why we believe all spiritual gifts are still for today. You look at verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit, and he goes on to list nine different gifts, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and it distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, we have nine gifts here, and then in verse 28, Paul adds two more, helping and guidance. And then in Romans 12, he lists a, a series of gifts that we might almost call uh, natural gifts. They're still supernaturally given, but they have a natural parallel. Teaching, serving, encouragement, generosity, leadership, and mercy. And so when you put these together, depending on how you organize them, there's 15 to 20 spiritual gifts in the New Testament. But it's interesting that every time Paul describes spiritual gifts, he actually gives us a little bit different list. And I think what that tells us is that there's not a, a definitive number of spiritual gifts for us to try to figure out and clearly define, but simply that God gives good gifts to his children for the building up of the church things that he's given us from his own nature to encourage and equip one another. For me, it's been helpful to think in terms of four categories of gifts. And the first one is faith gifts. So this includes faith, healing, and miraculous powers. We see these, I think, in verses 9 and 10. We're going to look at these in depth next week. And there's a way for us to remember that God is alive and at work in our world today. He still works in supernatural ways. That's so easy to forget, isn't it? It's so easy in a, in a you know, busy, Western, secular, disenchanted world that God can still break through and do unbelievable things. The second category is prophetic gifts, which includes prophecy, discernment, wisdom, and knowledge. And I, def I define prophetic giftings as supernatural encouragement. The example I gave earlier from Kayla, that's supernatural encouragement. 
It's supernatural because of the way that God orchestrated all these things, and it's encouragement. If it's not encouragement, it's probably not from the Lord, and it's probably not prophetic. But prophecy is supernatural encouragement. It's God giving us insight into someone's life in order to encourage them in a specific way. And this is not like prophecy in the Old Testament where it could be, you know, a prophet receiving the word from the Lord and saying, thus saith the Lord. It's, it's different. Hebrews 1 says, in former times, God spoke through his prophets. In these latter days, he's spoken through Christ. And that means that prophecy now is not definitive and, you know, infallible. Instead, we receive these things from the Lord, these words or these impressions, and then we can say, I believe God wants me to share this with you. Not thus saith the Lord. All right? That's prophecy. And the, four, the third one is tongues. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We see three different types or uses of tongues in the New Testament. We see people speaking different languages. You see that in Acts 2. Languages that they don't naturally know or speak. You see people... Uh, praying in tongues and then having somebody else interpret those tongues in a public gathering. That's 1 Corinthians 14. And then also in that chapter, you see a, a tongues as a private prayer language expressing intimacy with God. And so that's tongues. And then the fourth category, I just lump all of the service gifts together. So serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, guidance, showing mercy. Not that these things are less important at all, but because they're a little bit more straightforward uh, we're not going to focus on these a lot in this series. This series is already looking like 14 or 15 weeks, and that would put us at like 20 plus. So maybe we'll just do a Bible study or something for, for the rest of those. Now, I, I know, and you may know, that, that not all believers and not all churches uh, agree with, with the, the way that I'm presenting these spiritual gifts. There are three really big categories of views or three different approaches to spiritual gifts, primarily the, the supernatural, extraordinary ones, the revelatory gifts, which would be prophecy, tongues, healings, the things that are really like big, you know, out there, different, don't have a natural parallel. And so three different views. And the first one is this, that spiritual gifts have drastically changed or ceased since the first century. This is a viewpoint called cessationism. Uh, it's not when states leave the union. Cessationism means they believe that these extraordinary gifts have, have ceased uh, or have drastically changed in how they're expressed. And so according to, these, to this view, gifts existed to spread the gospel in the first century, but they weren't meant to be for all time. And instead, there might be uh, spiritual gifts now that are analogous to those gifts. So uh, prophecy doesn't take the form of the first century, but it might be unusual insight and forceful truth-telling, uh, to quote one person who represents this view, without being direct revelation from God. Okay, so that's the first view. Uh, gifts have drastically changed or ceased, and that's cessationism. Now, the second view is that gifts still exist, but our posture towards them should be open but cautious. This view is, is called continuationism sometime, meaning that the gifts continue today. Um, but the typical belief within this view is that you don't necessarily go looking for these gifts. You don't eagerly desire these gifts. So they can still happen today, um, but most of what God is trying to do is, is through the ordinary means of grace, you know, preaching and evangelism and study and those things. And so these gifts might still exist, you know, like in non-Western cultures to help spread the gospel, but we won't see a lot of them today. We don't need to pursue them. Sometimes this is called charismatic with a seatbelt, if you've heard that phrase. 
That's the second view. All right, here's the third view. Third view is that the spiritual gifts described in the first in the New Testament in the first century are all still valid and legitimate today. So this view, because I believe it, is called biblical Christianity. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard people do that. They're like, this is biblical preaching. This is biblical counseling. It's like, whoa, bro. No, I'm kidding. And I'm not. This is a view that is held by charismatics and all the different forms that it operates with a whole lot of differing views in particular areas. But in general, it believes that all spiritual gifts and scriptures are valid today and should be pursued, cultivated, and eagerly desired. All right? So these are your three big groups. And I want to be clear right here that you can hold any of these three positions and be a member of this church. You can hold any of these three positions and be a leader in this church. Our leadership team has people all over the place in these three areas. A lot of us are in the third. Some of us are in the second. Maybe a few are in the first. And I really believe that that kind of theological diversity makes us stronger. I think it actually protects us from error. So my goal is not to move all of us into a certain camp just because I'm there, although I will lovingly try to compel you of my view, and I welcome you trying to lovingly compel me on your view. That's great. Welcome that. But I do think a diversity of views here is really important. So I'm going to say a quick word about each. First of all, the, the gifts have ceased viewpoint, cessationism. I Again, I understand, I respect this view. The seminary that I went to taught this view. Some of the people that I've learned the most from hold this view. And yet, I do not think that it is very theologically strong. I don't think you find in the New Testament support for these gifts being taken from the church or leaving the church in any way. Rather, we see Paul encouraging people. This is verse 31 of our passage eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then two chapters later, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then later in the chapter, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So it's a general rule of sort of biblical interpretation that you don't cancel out anything from the New Testament that it itself doesn't cancel all right, so that's the first view. Now, continuationism. This is the, the view that's probably best represented the last two churches that I've, I've served in, the open but cautious, you know, seatbelt view. It affirms God can do whatever he wants, but is, but is probably not going to do a lot of the wild stuff. And again, I respect this. I, I understand it. A lot of you are there, and I, I, that's, that's great, and I genuinely mean that. And yet, I, I still think that it underestimates and it neglects the power of God that we see in the New Testament. I don't, know, I don't know how you read Acts and not get excited about the Spirit of God moving in the way that he did. And I don't know how you read all the letters of Paul and come away thinking that we shouldn't earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And then third, the, actually, let me say this on, on the second one, continuationism. My, my experience in, in the 11 years I was serving and pastoring in churches like this I think, it's, I think the heart is in such a good place, but I don't think you get the spiritual gifts. Even if you believe that they continue, I don't think you get them unless you actually eagerly desire them. All right, back to number three. The, the same as the first century view, the charismatic view. 
Probably the biggest critique of this view is that the spiritual gifts have not continued in, in, a, in a similar way in operation from the first century until now. That there are a lot of gifts in the first century, and then kind of like in 1906 on Azusa Street, there was another outpouring of, of gifts and prophecy, but nothing in between. And so they say, what in the world do you do with this 1,800 years of silence? I have two responses. First of all, you can find evidence of prophecy, tongues, healings, all of these things in every era of church history. The early church, the church fathers, the Middle Ages, the Reformation period, the the post-Reformation 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, and certainly today. So you can see these. I can send you articles all throughout the history of the church. But then second, even if they don't exist in the same way continuously, which they don't really. I mean, it, it comes and goes, and there are waves of it. But even if they don't exist in the same exact way over time, we shouldn't be surprised or concerned by that. Because spiritual gifts come to those who are eager for them. So the ones that are eagerly desiring the gifts will see more than those who are not. Again, a diversity of views here is a positive thing. I've probably mentioned before in this series a couple of times how many times the churches and denominations and campus ministries have become divided over spiritual gifts. And I'll be honest, that's not been my experience. I've not felt a bunch of division around these things. I think when they're pursued with love and with humility, they serve to equip us in such a powerful, beautiful way, and we cannot live without them. Now, it literally pains me to keep going. This is like the lecture part is kind of done. Thanks for hanging in there. We covered a lot of ground. I need my sermons to fit on like four or five pages to let the Trinity Kids people go at an appropriate time. On Friday afternoon, I had 10 pages like to the margins. I've cut so much. So uh, that's why we're doing a long series. But let me close with some pastoral encouragements. How do we, how do we get this in our hearts? How do we eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And again, right off the bat, somebody might object. Well, God will do what he wants, and when he wants it, he'll do it. And so I'm I'm just, I'm open, I'm I'm ready to receive whatever he has for me, and whenever he wants to just kind of supernaturally pour something into me, he will. But I'm not going to go looking for him, I'm not going to desire them, I'm not going to cultivate them. And the problem with this is that you don't or you shouldn't do this with any other area of your Christian life, right? Uh, hopefully no uh, you know, Bible-believing Christian says, when God's ready to give me biblical knowledge, he will, and I'll sort of wake up with it one morning, you know? Like in, in the Matrix where they just like plug you into software and you've got it. You know, that'd be great. It's not how it works. Nobody decides they want a great prayer life and then they just sit around and wait for a great prayer life to be poured into them supernaturally. All of a sudden, they're Ian Bounds or Brother Lawrence or something. That's not how it works. So why would we do that with spiritual gifts? If spiritual spiritual gifts are directly from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, part of His being being given to us as a good and loving gift, a blessing to us, why, why would we treat Him that way? In the first draft of my sermon, I just had the word disobedience. Uh, That's why I write more than one draft. That's a little harsh. My wife also reads the sermon. She's like, okay, disobedience. Okay. I think we have the fear that we can have simply because we've not been educated and equipped. That's better than disobedience, right? 
We really just haven't been educated and equipped. And as a result, we're not expectant. So let me come back to a point that I've already made several times because that's the way Paul does it. 1 Corinthians 12, now eagerly desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. I'll throw this one in as well, 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. I mean, three times explicitly and then several other times implicitly, the New Testament is telling us eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And the biggest reason we do this, this is the thing that has just blown me away this week. The number one reason to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, it goes back to the very first point, that gifts are something of God and from God himself. So to eagerly desire spiritual gifts is to eagerly desire God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We eagerly desire the gifts because we eagerly desire the giver. If you want more of God in your life, this is one of the pathways. If you want more of his power and his presence, this is a good place to go. We've grown in, in prayer over these last few years in a way that has been absolutely encouraging and, and frankly unbelievable for me. And every now and then I'll have somebody, you know, within the church uh, say, you know, I love the prayer culture that we have here. I'm, I'm learning so much to pray. I'm not really with you guys on all the Holy Spirit stuff, but I love the prayer. And I've had, I've had another pastor say, how, how do I get that culture of prayer that you guys have, but without kind of like the Holy Spirit stuff? <laughs> and I, I'll be honest, I don't think you can. I don't know that you can get the life of prayer, the deep, abiding, powerful life of prayer that hopefully you want. And I don't think you can get the incredible prayer culture that is growing here apart from also seeking the Spirit and His gifts. And it's for this reason. To eagerly desire the gifts is to eagerly desire the giver. If you're not expectant for God's presence and gifts, you won't get much of God's presence and gifts. As we've said in this series, probably every time, God comes where he's wanted. Well, what I've seen in this church over the last three years in particular, I've seen this, this verse from James 4 lived out over and over and over. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've heard countless stories from you of how your lives have been changed by God's presence. People saying, I've been a Christian for 30 plus years, but only now have I really learned to enjoy prayer. Or I've been a Christian my, my whole life, but as a functional orphan, and now I can feel and live in the love of the Father. Now I'm truly living as a child 
of God. I mean, I've seen more men tear up talking about the love of God in the last six months than like the rest of my life combined. It is so, so beautiful. And some of you know, I'm, I, I am a big revival guy. I love studying revivals. The word shows up in every one of my sermons. I've been tracking the Asbury revival like a lot of you. I, I love what God's done there. It's kind of wrapping up now. I love it. But if you ask me to choose between three weeks of God's spirit being poured out and worship and prayer and people coming from states away to experience it or what God's doing here, an outpouring of his spirit through worship and prayer under the leadership of godly, humble people with community groups that can gather and care for every single person that comes in here with with accountability structures and all of that. Like, give me that. I mean, like every day of the week and twice on the Sabbath. Like, give me Asbury too. But like, man, I love what the Lord is doing here. There's no guarantee that it lasts forever. It has to be stewarded. It has to be guarded. It has to be cultivated. Well, maybe you've heard the old phrase, hunger is the best sauce. Maybe you haven't heard that. <laughs> it's a phrase. So imagine there's like a magical sauce that you put it on any sandwich or food and it just becomes incredible, you know? That's barbecue sauce. But imagine it's like a magical sauce and everything just gets 50% better. That's what hunger is, you know? So when you're hungry, all food tastes better, right? You go to a restaurant, you're like, this wasn't as good as last time. You were just hungrier last time. That's all it is. Food's no different. Hunger is the best sauce. And hunger for God is the best sauce. It makes everything better. It does not take much to encourage somebody who's hungry for God. And it's really hard to offend them or bother them too much. Cam and I went to to St. Louis last year to see an old pastor named Terry Virgo. He's the founder of the New Frontiers family of churches. They had this great movement of of church planting in the 70s and 80s in Europe. Thousands of churches were planted. And he's now in his 80s, and he was speaking in in St. Louis. And and there were a couple worship songs before he came up to speak. And it was literally just one, like, sweaty 20-something hipster doing his best at Hillsong. It's great. It's fine. He did a good job. But Terry came up with tears in his eyes and just said, that was amazing. It feels like heaven. I thought, man, hunger is the best sauce. Eagerly desire God himself. Pray like it really matters. Sing till your heart is full. Don't despise spiritual gifts. Cultivate this hunger for God within you. And I hope you can see that God is inviting you to himself even now. I mean, right now, God is inviting you to himself. He's saying, I'm still at work in this world. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. I'm seeking worshipers, John 4, worshipers who will worship me in the spirit and in truth. And I'm, I'm looking at you. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. 
So I want to close with just a few verses. And you might want to just maybe close your eyes or put yourself in a, in a posture to receive. But I want, to, I want us to hear the invitations of God. And this is not even spiritual gifts. This is the heart of God for you and why we eagerly desire the giver. Isaiah 55. God says, come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And you might say, I don't know if that's for me. I'm, I don't feel hungry. I don't feel thirsty. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm struggling. Now hear Jesus, Matthew 11. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Maybe still you might say, you don't, you don't know me, Pastor. My heart is full of sin. I'm a wreck. I've got, I've got things hidden in me that I've not shared with anyone. Jesus would never accept me. John 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. Do you see how he's welcoming you? At the end of time, on the very last page of Scripture, in the last paragraph, Revelation 22, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Father God, you have poured out your love on us. You've poured out your spirit on us. We are, we are living in the overflow of, of who you are in our lives. We thank you. We praise you, O oh God. But Lord, even now we struggle. We struggle to believe. We struggle to pray. We struggle to be gentle with our kids and one another. And oh, Lord, how much we need you. There's no reason for us to do life apart from your spirit. No reason to, to live anywhere but deep within your love for us. Would you root us more deeply and strengthen us more fully in that love, oh God? Pour out more and more your love, your power, and your presence into our hearts, O oh God, and into this church. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.